Welcome to Amplifying the Patient Journey, a series in which we speak with both providers and patients about the clinical journey with a neurologic condition and what recent advances mean for patients, their providers, and caregivers. In this episode, Dr. Charlotte Sumner, Professor of Neurology and Neuroscience at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, and her patient, Nicole Moore, discuss some of Nicole's life goals and how recent treatment options have changed the conversations between Dr. Sumner and Nicole. My name is um, Charlotte Sumner, and um, I'm a professor of neurology, neuroscience, and genetic medicine at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. And I um, have been working on SMA in the research realm and also taking care of SMA patients since about 2001. Um, and it was actually in 2001 when I went to my first SMA meeting, um, a, a Cure SMA meeting. Cure SMA is one of the nonprofit research foundations. And at that in that setting, I realized that we really had an amazing opportunity to develop treatment for this disease. At that time, we didn't have any disease-modifying treatments that we could offer patients. So in the clinic, we mainly focused on supportive care measures. Um, but it was clear even back then that we had a real opportunity to develop new treatments. And so that's kind of what got me excited about the SMA field. The other thing that I really liked about SMA is that individuals like Nicole had a huge voice in what was happening in terms of developing treatments for the disease. And I really liked that very close relationship between patients and providers and researchers. And as we started to make a little bit of success in academic quarters, then you know small biotech companies got invested and then finally big pharma and that that relationship, that close relationship between um, patients, individuals living with SMA and the various other people involved in the field has remained really close. And that, that's been, I think, part of the what's led to the, the success that we've seen. I take care of individuals, not just with SMA, but a number of other genetic neuromuscular diseases. And unfortunately, these are, these are really um, difficult diseases in that they cause significant disability. Um, individuals experience significant muscle weakness that can limit the ability to walk, limit the ability to use arms, even limit the ability to breathe or swallow. And those that's that's really tough. And Nicole can tell you a lot more about that with living with a disease like that. But up until recent years, we really didn't have any treatments that could reverse any of those symptoms or reverse the underlying disease progression. And so as you know, we really focused in the clinic on helping manage disease symptoms. You know, if if um, if we can, we try and help with um, optimizing quality of life, optimizing the ability to do things with AIDS. For example, I know Nicole, you started having difficulty walking when you were a kid, but you know, mm -hmm. the ability to use a a wheelchair, a motorized wheelchair, really improved substantially your freedom to to do things so that you could get around um 
So, you know, obviously we use equipment to try and, and help optimize um, function. We monitor um, the ability to breathe well and support breathing if needed, make sure nutritional status is well optimized. Um, a lot of stretching and physical therapy can be helpful. So, you know, it's really supportive care focused and has been traditionally prior to the era of disease modifying treatments that we have now. Uh, I was diagnosed around, I believe my parents have said it was 18, 15 or 18 months old. So I don't obviously remember the beginning things, but they said they noticed like uh, I wasn't walking uh, the same as like pe children my age should have been walking and I was getting up and down uh, uh, unusually. Uh, my earliest memories are using a wheelchair for like longer distances. And then as I grew up, I started using my wheelchair more and more. I started using my wheelchair for full time when I was like halfway through first grade. It was pretty exciting when I saw like the first like news of, oh, they're doing trials for this and uh, they are getting good results. So I was really excited to see that there was like some progress in that. And then when it got approved by the FDA, I was really excited. So as soon as I had my next doctor's appointment with my neurologist, I asked about uh, what would need to happen for me to start the RISD so I could start it as soon as possible. When like all of my friends in high school and stuff were learning to drive, I kind of thought, I don't want to do that because I knew as I grew older, my arms and everything would get weaker. So I didn't want to learn to drive, be able to drive for a bit and then lose that ability later in life. But with the RISD, I've kind of plateaued in the muscle weakness getting worse. So I knew I would probably be able to continue to drive for hopefully the rest of my life or for a much longer time. So it was kind of a, okay, this is an exciting moment. I'm finally able to do something like this and started the procedure of getting everything ready so I could go to learn to drive. The company that I use to learn to drive is called Branch Driving School. They're in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and it's a little bit of a lengthy procedure. First, they come out to your home with the adaptive vehicle and just do like a basic, like we went to a, a, ban a bank that is no longer in business, their parking lot, and he just had me drive around there to make sure like I do have the ability to drive the vehicle before I did the whole two and a half weeks, go to a different town process of learning how to drive. And then once that got approved, once he said, yeah, you have the ability, you can learn to drive, we scheduled it. I went out there for two and a half weeks, started in just like parking lots, learning the basics of learning how to drive with the joystick, and then started going out on roads and kind of doing a little bit more every single day until he felt I was ready to go for my driver's license exam on the beginning of the, he scheduled at the end of the second week for the beginning of the third week. It's going to be exciting once I get my vehicle that I'll be able to drive because I'll be able to, I won't have to find someone who will be able to drive me to work or to go hang out with a friend or go to a hockey game. I'll be able to kind of be like, yeah, I can go myself. Don't have to plan it to make sure it works with someone else's schedule. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really changed the conversations markedly. Um as I mentioned, we mainly focused on, on supportive care measures in the past, and that's still very much the case. You know, continuing to do that supportive care is really 
important, but um, we now have three different treatments, um, two of which are available to older children and adults with SMA, and one of which is currently only available to children, you know, babies two years old or less. But that's that's you know a massive change <laughs> to to have not just one new therapy, but but three. And what's also quite striking is, is that two of the three drugs are kind of really new types of medications. So um, one is a, is a viral gene therapy. That's the one only available to the very young. The second is what we call an antisense oligonucleotide. And then the third is a, a small molecule, a drug you take by mouth, which is, which is the medicine that Nicole is taking. Um, so now, you know, we have a lot of conversations, providers and individuals living with SMA, we have a lot of conversations about the different drugs, what, what they sort of do, what their mechanisms of action are, how do they work, um, what sort of side effects you might or might not experience, and very importantly, what kind of benefit you might or might not experience um, by taking the drug. It's It's very important, I think, to educate about expectations. We do know that when given to very young babies, there can be a quite dramatic improvement. Whereas when given to someone who's been living with the disease for longer, there may be improvements, but but they may be more modest improvements. And it's important to have realistic expectations of what those might be. That's not at all to say that those aren't really, really important improvements. And I can't even tell you how Happy it makes me, Nicole, to hear that now that you're on a treatment, that you are now able to do something that you couldn't do before, namely drive. I mean, how huge is that? That's such a huge win. So, um, yeah, it's the best news I've heard all day for sure. <laughs> I didn't know that actually, because I haven't seen you in a little while in the clinic. So, um, so yeah, those are the sorts of conversations we're having. They're they're very different, um, and you know, it's um, it's it's really really heartening to be able to say, yeah, uh, we now have a treatment, but but we're not done either. We still have more to do, and you know, those of us who continue to work on the disease want to do even better. It's a very very good start, but we want to keep keep even developing more efficacious treatments. I think as of right now, I just want to get the van back from it, getting all of its modifications done, reintroduce myself to driving once again, and kind of get comfortable with that before I look for future goals to work towards. We've definitely noticed a plateau of weakening of my muscles. So I would say without the RISD, I probably wouldn't be able to do some of the things I'm able to do now uh, because I would have lost that muscle strength. So we're mainly looking at keeping it plateaued. I know I have noticed I've gained back a little bit of ability, like able to open some containers I wasn't able to open before, or my arms don't get as tired as easily, or like they bounce back to strength better the next day. And I definitely have a little bit more trunk muscle control than I did before the Avrizi, which is very exciting. I think what's really enabled some of the breakthroughs that we're now seeing is the ability to 
uh, develop therapeutics that really target at the DNA or the RNA level. So for monogenetic diseases, this is really a breakthrough because um, you know a number of these debilitating neuromuscular diseases are due to single gene abnormalities. And so um, what we're seeing now, and it happened three times over in SMA, but we're seeing it applied now to multiple different monogenetic diseases is using these really new therapeutic platforms to target the genetic abnormality. So really proximally, right, right at the proximal genetic cause. And that's fantastic. And it really addresses the primary genetic um, abnormality. But I think what we're learning in SMA and, and, and other diseases is that we still have more to do because even when we target at that very proximal genetic abnormality, there, there may have been some downstream events that have already occurred that don't completely reverse even when you target at the gene level. And so you need to do more work to understand what all those downstream events are and try and reverse those as well. And so, um, you know, for example, in SMA specifically, we now have therapies where we increase SMN. What we know is wrong in SMA is a reduction in this expression of a protein called survival motor neuron or SMN. And the three treatments that we use all increase SMN and that's fantastic. But we're realizing that maybe that's not enough in all cases and maybe you need to do something in addition to that. And for example, one thing you could do is find alternative ways to improve the health of the muscle, which is the target cell of the motor neuron. SMA is a motor neuron disease, but the motor neuron innervates the muscle. So you've increased SMN and that's making motor neurons healthier, but maybe you could in addition make muscle bigger or stronger, for example. And so there are now clinical trials ongoing in which we're giving us some men, you know, induction therapy, but also giving something that improves muscle growth, what are called myostatin inhibitors. So that's just one example about how you're both targeting the primary genetic abnormality, but then also targeting some disease pathobiology that's independent of the gene abnormality, but those two could work potentially additively. So that's what we're hoping for in this and multiple other genetic neuromuscular diseases. We heard at our last QRSMA meeting, not so much stimu electrically stimulating muscle, but actually electrically stimulating nerve roots that are entering the spinal cord as a potential therapy for SMA. So yes, neuromodulatory or neurostimulation therapy might be something that, again, we see as a combinatorial strategy with the existing drugs that we have. So there are lots of potential avenues that are being explored. Um, the other big area is whether more than one of these SMN induction therapies is a good idea. So we have several clinical trials ongoing now where someone who's received one of the drugs goes on to another one of the drugs, does, the, does shifting to a different drug actually provide further benefit? And you know, ultimately, I guess, someday we might be thinking about giving them both at the same time, which currently we don't do, but, but whether or not these different drugs that both increase SMN, but by different mechanisms, would they actually be 
additive or even synergistic. So lots of lots of potential ways to go to try and to do better. I would say if you're not currently on a treatment, definitely talk with your doctor about seeing which one they feel and you feel is the best fit for you because they, at least in my view, they do help at least a little bit. I've noticed definitely some improvement. So I would say it helps more than a little bit. Um, and just kind of keep keep some kind of goal that you can try to work towards, even if like driving, it didn't seem like it was going to be possible for a really long time. And now it's something that probably by the end of this year, I'll be able to drive myself to work or to go hang out with friends. I would definitely say Cure SMA. It's an organization that uh, does like that's where I usually find most of my SMA news. They're a really big help with kind of keeping up to date on what's happening with like all of the medicine research and they have good like resources to help you kind of navigate life as someone with SMA. So I would say definitely go check out them. Thank you to Nicole Moore and Dr. Charlotte Sumner for sharing their story and their knowledge with our listeners in this episode of Amplifying the Patient Journey. And thanks to you, our listeners. Be sure to visit practicalneurology.com for more podcasts in the neurology field.